Well, this isn't the April that we wanted. We wanted to go to an Easter service on Easter weekend. We wanted to go on a picnic on Easter Sunday. We wanted, well, we wanted to watch the Masters golf tournament. I love the Masters golf tournament. I don't just like it. I love it. Sporting-wise, it's the event for me. I watch every minute of it. I record it, and I even keep a picture of, of the golf course up on my screensaver. I love the Masters. I love April. But this April, it's not the April we wanted. But this is, this is the April that we've been handed, daily reports of, of disease and death, the economy that's in a free fall, dwindling supplies another 30 days of isolation and distance and most of all a month of fear fear of the future fear for our family fear for the health of our health workers we fear this microscopic covid culprit that stalks our streets like a thief so we need to brace ourselves Adjust our expectations. April as we wanted it is not going to happen. God willing, it will reappear in 2021. But the 2020 version, it's time for a deep breath, folks. Some steady resolve. A renewed faith. And a few decisions. And I'd like to dedicate this Palm Sunday message to suggesting Three essential emotional tools that you need to not only survive, but to thrive during this April. Number one, you're going to need some gratitude. You're going to need some gratitude. Collect all your blessings. Catalog all of God's kindnesses. Assemble your reasons for gratitude and recite them often. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, always be joyful. Pray continually and give thanks whatever happens. This is what God wants for you in Christ Jesus. Look at that. Always, continually, give thanks whatever happens. Those are pretty big phrases, aren't they? Note the totality of those words. You see, gratitude is always an option. It's not always easy, but it's always an option. It was for Matthew Henry when this 18th century scholar was accosted by thieves and, and robbed of his purse. He wrote this in his diary. Let me be thankful, first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who robbed I who was robbed, and not I who robbed. Make it your decision to find reasons to be grateful in these very challenging days. But this week, more than any, find that reason to be grateful. As you watch in your imagination, our Lord Jesus on the back of the donkey, as he rides into the city of Jerusalem for the singular purpose of dying on the cross for our sins and also 
for demonstrating his victory over death. Good Friday, Easter Sunday. The celebration begins on Palm Sunday. People cried Hosanna on Sunday. Then they cried crucify him on Friday. Yet he did not allow their fickleness to deter him from what he came to do and what he came to give. And I have a feeling I'm talking to some people who have lost much over the last month. You've lost some sleep. You've lost some peace. You've lost some of your emotional well-being, perhaps. And there are a few of you who have lost loved ones. May God give you strength. May he lift you up. And may you remember that what Jesus gave you, no one can take. And that is forgiveness of sins and the promise of a resurrected body in a resurrected land with a resurrected Lord. And that day seems soon coming. Folks, God has been through this. He has seen this. He has walked this. He has not left us to face this on our own. When my daughters were young, single-digit age, seven, five, and two, I wowed them with a miracle. I told them the story of Moses and the manna, and I invited them to follow me on a wilderness trek through our house. We dressed up like Bedouins, and I said, I'll be Moses, and you be the complaining Hebrews. Who knows, I said, manna may fall from heaven again. Off we went on our trek, and boy, did they play up the part. They were complaining to me, Moses, that they were going to be left out in the wilderness to die. They didn't know what the future held. Why don't you take us back to Egypt, they said, or at least the kitchen. I said, no, don't you worry. You keep looking up because manna may fall at any minute. Well, two-year-old Sarah obliged with no questions. But Jenna and Andrea, well, five and seven-year-old, that's, that's old enough to have their doubts. How could, how could manna fall from the ceiling? Maybe you're asking the same. How can God give us blessings to get through this? From where will he find the resources? Everything is in such chaos. How in the world could there be provision? I wonder if God's telling you what I told my daughters. I said, just keep looking up. We entered one of the rooms, and when they looked up, I reached over, and I turned on the ceiling fan. What they did not know is that I had placed manna, a.k.a. vanilla wafers, on the top of the blades of the ceiling fan. And as that ceiling fan began to turn, the manna began to fall. Oh, Sarah, she, <laughs> she jumped right after. I mean, she started grabbing those cookies off the floor. But again, the older two girls said, now, how did you do that, Dad? How did you do it? And I explained to them. I said, well, I knew where we were going. I had the resources. I know how these things work. It really wasn't that hard for me. And folks, this isn't hard for God. It seems impossible to us. But he knows where we're going. He mapped out the itinerary. He can bring blessings out of a barren land as easy as I can place wafers on a ceiling fan. 
and he will take care of us. He will take care of you. You can be grateful. That's why Jesus said this. He said, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Watch this. And don't get worked up. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Just give your attention to what God is doing right now and, and do your best not to get worked up. You know, we've talked about this before, but the, the Greek word for worry literally means divide the mind. When we worry, we're dividing our mind. We're scattering our thoughts. We're, we're bringing a, a cleaver into our ability to focus. Just one day at a time, God will give you enough what you need. One day at a time. Next time those sources, those, those voices of anxiety come, you just counter them with promises from God's Word. Worry takes a look at a catastrophe and says it's all coming unraveled. God's Word says God has done it all and done it well. Mark seven thirty seven. Worry says the world has gone crazy, but God's word calls God the blessed controller of all things. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 15. Worry wonders if anyone is in control, but God's word says God will take care of everything you need. Philippians 4 and verse 19. God's word also says... You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think that God who conceived you in love will be even better? Thank you, Jesus, for that reminder. We have reason to trust. We have reason to be grateful. So first, I urge you, quarry some gratitude. And then number two, set your mind on serving others. Set your mind on serving others. Resist the urge to be self-focused. And set your mind on serving others. When Cornell University gerontologist Carl Pillimer began interviewing oldest, the oldest Americans in 2003, he could not have known that he would one day be sharing what he learned about living through a crisis in the middle of a global pandemic. He collected his thoughts in a book entitled 30 Lessons for Living, Tried and True Advice from the Wisest Americans. And it was based on the premise that, well, the eldest among us are the wisest among us, and they can teach us how to live well through hard times. The average age of Pillimer's interviewees was 77, with the oldest speaking from 108 years of experience. 1,000 of them had lived through the Great Depression. 1,200 of them had lived through World War II. About 60 had lived through the 1918 influenza pandemic that killed an estimated 675,000 people in the United States alone. He asked them, based on your experience from these world-shaking crises, what advice do you have for younger people on how to live through them? One of the most common answers fell under the category of generosity. What he heard caused him to write, generously assisting other people to the extent that we can is a major way people are made to feel a sense of control, whether that was helping other people during the Great Depression or assisting the war effort during World War II. 
Generously helping others is a very good self-interested strategy. Here's a quote from one man who kept his farm through the Great Depression. 80-year-old said, There were times when we didn't know if we were going to make it. We not only survived, but we improved on the situations. But we did it together. If one person goes off and thinks he's going to do it by himself, that isn't going to work. We need one another. We need to be mindful of others. Be the family member who washes the dishes. Be the colleague who reaches out to check on the team. Be the neighbor who mows the grass of the elderly couple. You'll be better because of it. Research has borne this out when volunteers wearing a functional MRI scanner were told that they would be giving money to charity. The areas of their brains associated with pleasure lit up like Christmas trees. I'm wondering if that could be a new fundraising slogan. Helping others triggers dopamine. Are you seeking joy? Doing good does good for the doer. It always has. Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. I believe that this is a defining moment for the church. I, be I believe that we are uniquely equipped to be mindful of others. And this is a window, an opportunity that we have to be the church at our best. We are a modern-day version of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He was the twelfth of twelve sons of Jacob. Jacob's sons didn't get along well with their younger brother. He was one of twelve sons of Jacob. Somebody's going to correct me on that. He wasn't the twelfth, but he was one of twelve. He was way down the pack. Wasn't he number eleven? I know I've got to be careful because people in this church, they study their Bibles. Regardless, the other brothers didn't like Joseph, and so they took it out on him, and they threw him in a pit because they decided they could, well, they'd rather have the money of selling him into slavery than the hassle of killing him. Well, you know the story, I hope. He ended up in Egypt and worked his way up the ladder until finally he was the prime minister of Egypt, assigned the task of overseeing the nation during a seven-year famine. And so for seven years, he stored up grain in the silos of Egypt. And consequently, because he had stored up he could give out. Friend, we have stored up. We have stored up. Our world is facing a famine of hope. A famine of hope. But if you're in Christ, you have hope in you. You have something that other people need. And the Holy Spirit is activating within you opportunities and abilities and the privilege of sharing that hope with other people. Oh, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Your neighbors need hope. Your friends need hope. Your co-workers need hope. Just reach out to them. Go on the offensive. Let them know you love them. Let them know you're thinking of them. Everybody in the world has just received a wake-up call. And we've all been reminded of the brevity of this life, the, the frailty even of the healthiest among us. And we all have been reminded how much we need God. Think of others. Think of others.
pray for others. Can I give you a specific opportunity to do that? Over the last two or three weeks, almost every day, I've been posting an online message of encouragement, eight to ten minutes. These messages have been very well received. We average over 100,000 views a day. We're well over 5 million total views on all the social platforms. Every time I tell people, post your prayer, prayer requests and, and we're going to pray for them. And I thought that, well, maybe I could pray or, or maybe a few of us could pray. But folks, I mean, the prayer requests are so many. I've solicited the help of our elders and our elders' wives, our staff. And many people are helping, but we need more help. I checked just a few hours ago and the message posted today within two or three hours already had some 600, 600 responses. Would you, be, would you be willing to go online and just pray over all those needs? Pray over all those needs. And I'm going to tell them that they can count on the prayer warriors of the Oak Hills Church family to pray. We can be mindful of others. This is one way that we can all discover opportunity. I hereby deputize you as a prayer warrior. So we need to respond with gratitude. We need to be mindful of others. And then one final word, and that is determination. Determination. It's time for some good old-fashioned grit. It's time for some good old-fashioned resolve. It's time for that determination that says, this is tough. But my, my faith is tougher. It's a challenge. But my God has helped me face challenges before. And I'm going to trust him. I believe that he's going to get me through this because that's what God does. Some years ago, I had the opportunity of meeting an American hero. A general by the name of Robbie Reisner. For seven and a half years, the North Vietnamese soldiers held him and dozens of other soldiers in the zoo, a POW camp in Hanoi. In the zoo, misery came standard issue. Solitary confinement, starvation, tortures, beatings, all routine. Interrogators would twist broken legs and slice skin with bayonets and cram sticks up nostrils. Screams echoed throughout the facility. I asked General Reisner how he could describe it. I mean, how he could survive it. He told me the most amazing story. And that is, even though cut off from family, no news from the U.S., he found a way to give himself an infusion of hope every day. He would stare at a blade of grass. Several days into his incarceration, he wrestled the grate off the floor vent, stretched out on his belly, stuck his head down into the opening, craned his neck, and peered through a pencil-sized hole in the brick and mortar at a singular blade of grass. Aside from this stem, his world had no color. So he would begin his days with head in vent, heart in prayer, Staring at the green blade of grass. He, he called it a blood transfusion for the soul. Find that blade of grass, my friend. Find it. This isn't the April that we wanted, but I got to tell you what. 
grass grows green in April. The hope of God is still solid. The throne of heaven is still occupied. As Travis said last week, Romans 8, 28, still in the Bible. And what God has promised to do, he will do. Just fix your eyes on hope. Those three words, those three decisions. First, gratitude. Then others. And then determination. G-O-D. Fix your eyes on God. He's going to help us. Turn your attention toward him. He will lead us. Lean into him. He will help us. Cry out to him. He will hear you. Let these days be full of heartfelt prayers. Let him know what you're going through. Asking for strength. Asking for patience. And we will come out on the other side of this better because of it. Because that's what God does. When ancient sailors sketched maps of the oceans, they disclosed their fears on the vast unexplored waters. Geographers wrote words such as these. We know this because some of these maps still exist. Here be dragons. Here be demons. Here be sirens. For somebody to draw a map of your world, is there a part of your future over which we would find the words, here be dragons? Here be demons. Here be sirens. Is there a part of this uncharted future, these waters that we're sailing that bring you nothing but fear? If so, then draw some inspiration from Sir John Franklin. He was a master mariner from the days of King Henry V. And distant waters were a mystery to him just as they were to everyone else, all the other navigators. But unlike his colleagues... Sir John Franklin was a man of faith. And the maps that passed through his care came to bear the imprimatur of trust. On them, he had crossed out those phrases. Here be demons. Here be dragons. Here be sirens. And in each place, he had written the phrase, Here be God. Here be God. Here be God. I don't know what the future holds, but I know God does. I'm not sure what tomorrow is going to bring, but I am convinced that he has placed manna in the heavens and he will give us what we need when we need it. I don't know exactly what's going on in the world, but I am utterly convinced that this is a golden opportunity for us to be Joseph's in this generation and open up the granaries of hope to all who would receive it. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I am totally convinced that there is a blade of grass that you can find and that I can find. And we can focus on God, focus on heaven, focus on life. And God is going to get us through this. No, it's not the April we wanted, but it's the April we've been given. And God is right here with us. We're going to spend some moments in prayer now. I'd like to lead us in a prayer. I'd like to invite you wherever you are, wherever you are watching in the world, whether you're in a living room or even a hospital room, a senior citizen's facility, that you realize that we're all joined together now as if we were under one roof. 
as we go before our Heavenly Father under the protection of prayer. O most holy and gracious Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. You have our attention. You do. You have our attention. We repent. We repent of trusting our, our savings accounts or our, our checking accounts. We repent of, of loving our leisure and loving our entertainment even more than we love you. We repent for those many days in which we did not have you number one. You have our attention. Would you please, oh Heavenly Father, hear us as we pray. Hear us as we pray. Find that one among us who is most desperate and beginning with him or her. Work your way up to the person who is most courageous. And grant each one of us a sense of your presence, your purpose, and a fresh rendering of your promises. We, we, we listen for you. We do ask, O oh Lord, that we could be grateful. We thank you. It's not easy, but you've told us to always be grateful. So, Lord, we're thankful for what you're teaching us in this. We're thankful for the difficult blessings. We're thankful that we'll be better because of it. And we do not know, Lord, where this is all going. But whether it be on this planet or in your presence, when this ends up, we'll be, we'll be giving you praise. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would consider our prayer to turn this into the revival for which we've been praying. A worldwide revival, a global response to you in which millions upon millions of people would turn their hearts toward you. Would you please, Lord? Would you please? For the cruelest virus, as cruel as this one is, is the virus of sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for receiving within you the sin of our souls so that we could receive the perfection of, of, of your sainthood, of your glory. Thank you. And then, Lord, we pray just for courage. Grant us that we can have that determination. Let that determination fall upon those young parents who are waking up every day to a house full of kids. Let that determination fall upon those employees who are concerned about their, about their future. Let that blessing fall upon employers, some of whom are having to furlough uh, some of their, some dear friends. Oh, give them blessings, Lord. Give them blessings. Let that determination fall upon all of us that we could walk in faith. And though we cannot see the future, we'll trust you in it. We thank you. It's not the April we requested, but it's the April we've been given. And so we receive this in the name of Jesus. Amen.